you will remain standing for the reading of God's scripture as we just continue to worship this morning. I'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and from Ephesians chapter 2. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, with knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, with steadfastness, with steadfastness, with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Say hello to someone on your way to your seat. Morning. Glad to be back with you today. Uh, if you don't know you, my name's Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. Welcome. Gary, thank you so much for bringing the word last week, bro. That was so good, right? Um, man, if you didn't hear it, I'd encourage you to go check it out. It, it was a phenomenal, for so many reasons, a phenomenal wrap-up of our conversation on maturity. And today, I'm just going to piggyback off some stuff that Gary said and continue to wrap up the series on maturity. Um, we've been talking about maturity being an option in life. We don't typically think about it that way. We just think you just mature. And what we've been trying to point out is, no, actually, uh, maturity, relational, spiritual, emotional maturity is optional. Uh, you can opt out of maturity, and many people do. It's possible to go your whole life and get really old and have gray hair and stay really emotionally and relationally and spiritually immature. It's possible, okay? You can get stuck, whether it's a gentle plateau, right, or a hard stop due to trauma or betrayal or some sort of... Our inner development as a person, our inner growth can get stuck, y'all, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, you can just be lazy, you can be prideful, you can be right out sin. All these things affect your uh, mental, emotional, spiritual growth and cause us to remain really kind of underdeveloped people, right? Um, who've learned to kind of survive at this subpar uh, level of life. And I think a lot of people learn how to do that, right? So I've just gently reminded you every week, um, your body is aging, except for Gary. He's 56 and looks 31. For the rest of us in here, your body is going to age. You're physically going to get older. It's like, and for most of us, like, it's pretty clear, you know? <laughs> Last week, I pulled something in my sleep. I'm, I'm not even joking. I woke up and my back was sore. That's like when you know it's getting real, right? So the, the state of your body, the state of your body, guys, is kind of hard to hide, isn't it? I mean, we try, and we put all sorts of stuff on, you know, we try to hide it, but it's kind of hard to hide your body. Your soul, though, 
The state of your soul? Oh, dude, religious people are really good at using their body to hide the state of their soul. In fact, Jesus talks about childlikeness. I, I think a lot of times that childlikeness is about not hiding with your body what's going on inside of your soul, right? There can be a stark difference between your outer and inner maturity. And you don't have to be a Christian to know that, right? So for tons of people, outwardly things are fine. Fine. You're fine. You got a job. You're married. You're doing the things. Hey, even you got a, you got a six-pack, all right? <laughs> Good for you. All right, you got a six. But, but emotionally... Good for you, right. Emotionally, relationally, like spiritually, dude, no matter how hard you try or how old you get, you just feel stuck. If there was a picture for your spiritual life, it would be a truck spinning out in a rut, throwing mud everywhere. You just feel stuck spiritually and you don't know why. But you know it because you're getting angry over the same things. You're getting bitter. Or you're tempted by the same things. You're losing the same fights you were losing in high school. You're having the same arguments over and over again. You're stuck. And then you come to church, and here we are talking about transformation and change and growth. And I think for some of us, there's some dissonance in here. We're talking, I mean, we're, what we're laying out for you is, dude, look, the assumption of Christian community is that you are continually being transformed to glory to glory. Hallelujah, amen, right? Sounds wonderful, but for some of us, it just doesn't sound realistic. And the dissonance that we are feeling in conversations like this causes some of us to just check out. You just check out. I'm like, hey, you should be maturing and growing and things should be thriving in your life. And I'm like, not my life, I'm out. And we just check out. A lot of us, we allow the, let me, let's talk real, come on. I mean, we're at church, I know. A lot of us, we allow the dissonance that we feel coming from the pulpit, when that matches our real, when it hits our real life and we feel that, oh, this is not matching up. So we just check out. That's how a lot of us respond to the dissonance, even when we open the Bible. That tension, we feel my life doesn't look like this, so we just check out. Sounds lofty, but I live here, pastor, <laughs> right? Trying to keep my sanity and my kids out of jail. And if I can do that, Hashtag winning, right? A lot of us just stuck in survival. That's the point. Okay, get on with it, right? Okay. Spiritual life, man. Do, like a lot of us would say, you know, physically, like we're, you know, we're okay, but spiritual life, ugh, I don't know, do I even have one? Right. If you don't feel the dissonance, I'm not sure if you're paying attention, but don't let that cause you to check out. Like, when you feel that dissonance, dude, let it cause you to press in and say, there may be something that I am missing, like at an existential level, how to exist. <laughs> I could be missing something. And I want to press into this. So when it comes to our spiritual life, some of us just feel stuck. And a lot of times you're coming to church trying to figure out, why do I feel stuck? I mean, isn't that why people tend to come to church? Maybe that's you. Maybe this whole entire conversation on maturity, um, you've just been like, well, it's nice and it's cute, but I feel stuck. And so today as we wrap up the conversation, I want to be sure we have this whole thing framed uh, appropriately. I want really clear thinking about this entire conversation because if we miss some key things about your maturity as a person, your spiritual maturity, emotional, if we miss some key things when it comes to our Christian thinking, we will stay stuck. And those are the key things that I want to harp in on, darling, on today, okay? Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get after it. Jesus, God, I ask right now that you would come, Holy Spirit. We were praying earlier today and just getting this picture of, you know, the dry bones, you know, the prophet speaks to the dry bones. Father, would you come? There are, there are relationships in this room right now 
that you would describe as those are dry bones. Some of us, it's with kids, friends, spouses. Like it's, like it's, it's dead. Father, would you come? Would you speak life to those dry bones again in the name of Jesus? God, I pray for every one of our hearts towards you right now, especially for those in this room who their relationship with you is a, is a corpse. It just doesn't feel alive. Come, Holy Spirit. God, like you breathed into the dirt and made man, would you breathe into the material of our, of our life, our body, our relationship with you, and you, would you bring life to dead places in the name of Jesus? God, there's some things that only you can do, Father. Lord, would you come do them today? Man, we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So, if you feel stuck spiritually, relationally, emotionally, I think there's a couple conclusions that religious people come to as to why they're stuck and how to get unstuck. Okay? Probably number one amongst religious people when they think, okay, I'm spiritually plateaued. What do I do to like, you know, get to the next thing? The number one conclusion most Christians come to is that you are not trying hard enough. I'm probably not disciplined enough. If I could just get up on time, right? My wife says, amen. Quit hitting snooze a million times, right? (laughs) If I could just... Read the Bible, you know, if I could just pray and, you know, pastor, like, just make me feel a little more guilty. That tends to help. Then I'll get my button gear, right? And of course, conversations like we're in now about maturity, this conversation has all been about taking responsibility for the state of your soul. That's been the whole thing, right? Like, take responsibility, bro. It's your deal, right? And of course, so conversations like this, the natural conclusion is, well, I'm not putting forth enough effort. So to get unstuck, I need to press the gas like the pastor keeps saying, press the gas and worship and community. And now like he's been saying, right? We can all relate to this impulse, dude. At many times in my Christian life, I've come to the same conclusion. I, I just need to try harder, right? And here, the solution, really, it, it's up to you. It depends on you. Like God did his thing 2,000 years ago, and now it's up to you, you know, to respond into your action. Now, there's another group of people who'd say, oh, no, 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 no. You know, they've, they've done their reading, and they, they hang out, and they talk theology with people, and they say, no, 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 no. That's not how I, I don't think that's why you're stuck, because I know the salvation's by grace through faith. That's what we read. We read that today, right? So, so we'd say, so that group would say, no, 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 it's not about your trying, and no matter how hard you try, you can't make it happen, right? And so, so they're like, okay, well, it's not about effort, so why am I stuck? Okay, well, what they conclude is that there's some sort of deficiency in your spiritual experience, okay? So we got two groups. We got one saying, you're not trying hard enough. And we got another group that says, no, 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 it's actually about some spiritual experience. So maybe there's a deficiency, um, depending on the theology you grew up in, it's like, well, maybe your salvation experience, something didn't quite work, you know? (laughs) You you didn't say the right things, or you didn't quite believe enough, you didn't quite repent enough in that experience, or when they baptized you, did you get fully immersed? Because... Because those Presbyterians, they only sprinkle, you know? And you're like, dang it, that's what it is. I knew it. Those guys just sprinkled me. That's what's the problem. Listen, guys, I'm like, I, I, we're joking. We're joking. I've had that conversation. Dude, P, dude, listen, I, we, I baptized this guy in the, in the Lake Lanier. It was awesome, man. Dude, radical chance, right? Baptized him. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, years later, he gets in these kind of clouds, and he's going through some stuff, and he calls me. He's like, Chris, listen, did you baptize me in the name of Jesus? 
or the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Because I got some guys telling me that I'm not done if you didn't do it. I'm like, bro, seriously. Like we begin to question like these technical aspects of the experience. I mean, come on. If you're not there, if you're like, okay, I've done that. Maybe it didn't take, right? Maybe it wasn't emotional enough. I should have cried. I knew it. I should have cried, you know? Like that... That would, when we feel stuck, you know, poor Skyler, I about knocked him out when I, I thought, I thought of, I thought about you. So when he, when he, we have this like baptismal tub, right? And he's tall. And so when I went down, his head just boom on the side of the thing, right? So poor, he's like, man, if he wouldn't have knocked me out, maybe this would have took, you know? No, we... We question, we question our experience. And so we say, if there's, there's an experience I'm missing, now come on, let's be real, right? You hang out charismatic Pentecostal circles, and be like, did you speak in tongues? No, right? Did you receive, did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? You might have, did you get, you know? And we start questioning the experience, right? Now, the problem with this is we end up waiting, when we think the experience was flawed and I need to have another experience, I need an experience, we end up sitting around twiddling our thumbs, just waiting for God to do something. So the one, pe- one group says, you're not doing enough. The other person says, God's not doing enough. He was supposed to do some other thing. I mean, he didn't do it. And, and, and the, this group, the second that God's not doing enough, the, the solution's totally dependent on God. And he has to do it. And you, well, I don't know what you do. You guess you just wait around downcast in your sin, waiting, hoping one day God will do something, right? Listen, I've, I've come to both of these conclusions at various points in my Christian walk, right? It's an oversimplification, but we tend to think either I'm not doing enough or God's not doing enough. This is how we think about things, all right? And I want to tell you right now, both of these are right, and both of these are wrong. They are both right, and they are both wrong. Maturity literally means uh, to full potential. If a fruit is mature, okay, it's ripened to its full ripeness. If a tree is fully, I know, I just make up words, Matt, I don't know. If a tree is fully, fully mature, if a tree is fully mature, it's at full stature. It's not going to get any bigger. It's reached its full capacity. Okay, immature people and things have room to grow. Chatting? We get it? Okay, so if, if these positions are right, all right, some of us, What's the rightness about these positions? Okay, well, dude, listen, let's talk real. Some of you are nowhere near your full potential when it comes to your effort towards pursuing God. Let's just be real, okay? Some of us are nowhere near our full capacity when it comes to effort and pursuit of Jesus and discipline and godliness and giving him credit to his name and holiness. Like, you know, you could be doing way more. You have room to grow. You're immature here in your discipline towards God. And your maturity is practically stuck because you will not do the necessary work of limiting yourself and putting structures in your life. Now, that's just true for some of us. For some of us, our spiritual stuckness is a very practical thing of, of just you're not willing to put in effort. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to take that away from you. <laughs> for some of us, it's true. Maybe we're intimidated by the effort, right? Like we know, like I'm going to have to face some dysfunction in my family, like I've got hidden sins, or I'm just never going to swallow my pride and actually go to counseling, and we're adolescent in our effort towards pursuing God. Okay, that's just true. But here's the thing. There are things in your life that no amount of effort on your part will substitute for the supernatural work of God. No amount of effort, no amount of discipline. If the Lord hasn't built the house, everything you do is in vain. 
And God, let's just push it a bit further. God can do in a second what decades of counseling cannot do. So if you're a type A overachiever, like you need to think about this too. Let's just think, of, let's just think about this. If you're the kind of person who could muster the guts and the courage and the discipline to deal with your family baggage, deal with your dysfunction, deal with your secret sins and conquer it. Like if it's all up to you and you're the kind of person that can do it, what do you need Jesus for? And at the end of all things, you have every right to boast because you're the one who's done the work. It was your discipline, your, your effort. You see the problem here? See, if it's all up to you, this whole saved by grace through faith so no one can boast makes zero sense right? Because you've done the real work and you know it and you look down on everyone else who can't seem to muster it out. So while most of us in this room have areas to mature in our discipline, we have areas to mature in our effort, that's not the whole picture. Some of it's up to you, but not all of it. You're right and you're wrong. Now, on the other side, if you tend to think, well, I've, I've not had the right experience and that's why I'm stuck. Well, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> For many, many, many church-attending, self-described Christians, they have not, in reality, opened their hearts up to experiencing the supernatural love of God. I believe that with all my heart, in any meaningful way. Right? God has so much more for you in your experience of this life, in the ways in which he wants to encounter you with his real love and power. Right? You are probably, many of us are probably very immature in our experience of God, right? So our potential for that area to experience the love of God, infant. Maybe you used to know God in that way. You used to be vulnerable with him and you used to feel his love and his banner over me. Right? You used to talk with him and you used to be led by him, but that was years ago and you really don't know what happened. And now you're waiting around twiddling your thumb for the next experience. My question would be, okay, well, did you adjust your actual life in light of that experience? Like, did you implement discipline and structure to protect that relationship, or you just sit around waiting for the next experience? Because if you've never begun to put limitations on you, uh, structures in place to, to sustain that relationship, then you're a frothy Christian and an experience seeker. You're just seeking the next ride, right? And you're probably given to license and laziness. See, but then there's those in here who might say, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever, ever experienced God in any real way. In fact, you look at spiritual experience with suspicious skepticism, and you've labeled it as emotional thrill-seeking, and in turn, you've dismissed the idea of experiencing the love of God, his goodness, his compassion in any real and profound way in your life. You've dismissed it right out. You've just said, I don't think that happens today. I think God did all his stuff 2,000 years ago, and I don't, I'm not sure if there's any supposed to be some sort of emotional connection between me. We've dismissed this idea for many of us, right? Of his love, of his affections affecting us, right? And we've said, and if you're in that boat, you're just like you're in the try harder camp, right? You're in the, well, I just need to think. You think faith, if, if that's you, if you've dismissed, are we talking here? Are we trying? If you have dismissed, experiencing the love of God on an individual basis, okay? Like a personal basis. If you dismiss that and say, I don't think that, I don't think Christian. Okay, well then to you, Christianity, what else can it be about than just discipline and obedience and grin and bear it and pour yourself out because pastor says I'm supposed to love everyone even if it kills me and it is killing me and I gotta love all these people and these bunch of morons but I'm gonna try to love them and maybe you're here today. You're, maybe, dude, maybe you're doing it. 
Maybe you're like type A overachiever and like you're doing all the right things religiously in this room right now. Like you're in the game, man. You're volunteering, you're giving, you're trying to read your Bible, you're trying to be kind, trying to pray, right? Trying to worship, you know. But have you heard worship music, Chris? Like, God, you know, right? It, but, but in reality, in reality, you are exhausted. You're exhausted. You may, in fact, in the midst of all of your effort, all of your discipline and trying, I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out. Like, you're angry, actually. You're angry at others for not trying as hard, and you're angry at God for holding out. I'm doing this stuff, Lord. Why do I feel like a dried, shriveled up tree pouring myself out? You're doing all the right things, but you are burnt out and confused, and if you're honest, miserable. Right in the midst of religious activity. Reading the Bible, praying, listen to me. It is both and, not either or. Okay? We can do all the right things, like Gary was getting out last week. Man, that's why I love what you were talking about, Gary. We can know all the knowledge. We can be biblical scholars. We can not even go to, I'm going to lead a small group. I don't even go, I'll lead it, right? But if you are not experiencing the love of God over your life, you have gotten the cart before the horse. You've gotten the cart before the horse. And no amount of discipline or Christian activity will ever compensate for your inability to let God love you. On the other hand, we can have all the spiritual experiences you want, get Holy Spirit sprinkled dust and be physically healed and go to the third heaven. But if that is never met with tangible, practical adjustments in our life, you will not mature. So most of our conversation has been, around maturity, has been practical adjustments. That's what we've been saying. We've been saying, hey, look, this is what it practically looks like. You gotta make room to grow with God. You gotta put these limitations, you gotta put these objectives, put these activities in your life to sustain your walk with God, right? And we've been talking about practical, and this is why Gary's message last week was so great, because it's at the end of all this that he's reminded us that, hey, listen, if you don't have love of God and love of others at the center of all these things, you've missed the mark. You're not going to mature as a Christian. And at the end of this conversation on maturity, we, we need to have this thing really clear in our minds, okay? Really clear. Your journey in Christian maturity starts with one thing. It does not start with you loving people. It does not start with your commitment to community or to church or reading the Bible. It starts with you receiving the love of God. Your Christian journey of maturity, listen to me, starts with you learning how to receive the love of God. You will fail. It, I'm sorry. And we, you will fail to see and experience his love. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I messed it up. <laughs> ah, if you fail. Sorry, I didn't fix that. There's, there's an error there. If we fail to experience his love in an ongoing way, we've missed the mark. If we fail to experience his love in the wrong going way, we miss the mark. See, if we start with be disciplined, do the things, obey, just love people, then at the end, you get the credit. And by faith through grace, so no one can boast, doesn't make sense. There is only one way the two scriptures we read can work together. We read two scriptures. We read one where it says, hey, add to your faith this, add to your faith that, right? Add discipline, add all these things. And then we read, it is by grace through faith you've been saved so that no one can boast. The only way these two scriptures can work together is that if there is a clear sequence of the two, a clear cause and effect. Christianity only works if all of our adding, 
All of our efforts start with the radical experience of the love of God. That's the only way Christianity works. See, if his love and sacrifice doesn't outshine your love and sacrifice, then at the end of all things, you will be looking for the credit. But if all of your effort in Christianity, all of your pouring out and dying to yourself and loving others, if all of that is simply a response to his pouring himself out, his loving you, his sacrificing himself, then at the end, y'all listen, at the end of a life of radical generosity, radical self-surrender, radical sacrifice for others, at the end of that life, you would say there is only one who truly loved, and his name is Jesus. It's not me. There's only one who's truly good in his name. And dude, think about the good that Christians do in history, man. Like start hospitals, start educations, go to the ends of the earth, improve the quality of life. The world's over. After all the good we've put out on the earth, we'd say there's only one good. And there's only one who gets the credit and his name's Jesus. It's the only way it works, guys. If we start with humanitarian aid and effort, and we gotta love people, dude, not only will you get burnt out quickly, you will have zero joy in your discipline and pursuit of Jesus. If, he, if it doesn't start with the love of God, with you receiving the love of God, you have gotten the car before the horse and your Christianity is joyless and it cannot endure the storm. If the love of God is not the thing, you, you again, this is the only way Christianity makes sense. <laughs> it, is, it starts with and is sustained by not our love, but God's love. And it is a radical love. Dude, his love does not make sense. I don't get it. I don't know why he loves you so much. I mean, I don't. Right? I mean, I mean, all right? It confuses me just like it confuses you, right? Like he loves us radically. Has nothing, we're so weird, right? All of our quirks and sins and doubts and dysfunctions, and yet his love multiplies over and over, like abounding, overflowing down on us. Have you, I mean, read the Bible, man, right? It, it is, it's, Christianity starts and is sustained by his love for you. God's love and compassion for you is so radical Paul would say things like this, Lord, these guys don't have the capacity to experience your love. So you got to give them the strength to comprehend the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. That's how Paul talks about the love of God. He says, it is so expansive, so massive that your heart literally has to be transformed just to receive it. So large, so overwhelming that he's like, man, you gotta, you got to have some strength just to be able to receive it. If you are not routinely receiving the love of God, letting God love you, and I know some of you already are like, what does that even mean, man, letting God, right? Your faith will go sideways, no matter how disciplined you are. Listen, I'm not voting for an overly emotional faith, Okay. But if you are not taking down the guard and letting your heart be vulnerable before God, then even in the midst of all of your religious activity, you won't last long and you will not have joy along the way. God wants to break some barriers today. And he doesn't want to break them with guilt or fear or moral obligation. He wants to break them with his love. And he's been saying since before you were born, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And if you'd say, well, I know that intellectually, Chris, but it doesn't change anything, you do not know that. Because his love changes everything, man. 
His love changes how you see the world. His love changes why you obey. His love changes why you worship. It changes why and how you pray. It changes how you engage with community. It changes how you read the Bible. Look, get, I'm all about getting the Bible to brush up on first Palestinian like century history. I love that stuff, okay? <laughs> That's one thing, okay? But getting in the Bible to commune with a father that deeply loves you is a complete, you can approach it differently. You're reading it differently. And it, dude, his love changes how we approach all of the things that we've been talking about, right? And if we don't realize the depth and the power that his love possesses, we're going to miss out on Christianity. We're going to miss out on what it means to be a Christian. I think we tend to think God's love is cute and isn't that nice. And if he wants to do that, okay. But we don't realize God's love is not garnish on the Christian life. Dude, it's a wrecking ball. His love smashes you into pieces and then puts you back together brand new. Dude, his love melts you to the ground and then skims off the imperfections. <laughs> if we don't have a Christianity that starts and is sustained by his love for you, you do not have biblical Christianity. Do you think of the language of the biblical authors? Think of how they talk about God. Your love's better than life, right? Better as one day in your courts than a thousand as, as a deer pants for water. My soul longs for you, O oh God. When can I come to your house and worship? Dude, it's obsessive. It's not mere religion. It's romance. It's love, right? And then all through the Bible, God is saying things like, you know, my love for you is like that of a husband. In fact, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Have some kids that probably aren't yours. Then you'll know how I feel about my people. Then you'll know the depths of my passion for them. God's love is a jealous love that would rather take on your sin than let you die in them. Come on, man. All right, we're gonna, are we going to clap during sermons now? Are we going to do that? Are we going to be that kind of church? Okay. We started, this a first for us, wasn't it? We, we started this convo. We started this convo on maturity with, look, here's how it looks practically. Worship, formation, all these things. Gary says all that's got to be saturated in your love for God and your love for others. What I'm telling you is that you will never have love for God and others if you don't let God love you first. If you don't take, we got to take a step back and realize if God's love for us isn't functioning in our life in any real way, you've missed Christianity as a whole. If God's love is not functioning in your life in any real way, you have missed Christianity as a whole. The kind of love God is calling you into is not one you can manufacture on your own. He has to give it. And perhaps more importantly, you have to receive it. So I'm, I'm sure for many of us in this room, just the idea of letting God love you seems weird. You're like, what, what do you mean? Okay, that's okay. But I would challenge you to read the Bible, read the New Testament, look at the history of Christianity in the world, and see if there is any other clear rationale as to why Christians are willing to give their entire life, be fed to lions, undergo suffering and persecution, leave all of their luxuries, go to the ends of the earth to joyfully spread the gospel. Dude, that's not moral obligation. Only love makes you that crazy. Huh? No one's going to give up their possessions joyfully because you like the color of the carpet in the church. 
No, no, come on, man. That's where we live, isn't it? Oh, I didn't like yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that song, right? Right? No one's gonna surrender their life to be burned. Dude, we're talking about love, man. We're talking about moral obligation. And for so many people, our Christian life is just moral obligation. Well, he says I'm supposed to do this thing, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna grin and bear it. Nose to the grindstone. Dude, you've missed it, man. You're not riding the current of the love of God for humanity. That's, and if that's you, you've missed Christianity as a whole, right? Last week, this came up in small group, okay? So I'm going to do this at the risk of embarrassing my wife. When I, okay, if I have to lose sleep right now, I'm so frustrated, right? Sleep is precious to me, all right? So if a kid gets me up or whatever, the dog, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so, I'm sweating, you know, right? Complain to everyone the next day, oh, stupid dog is barking at blah, 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 now, blah, 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 right? When I was falling in love with my wife, dude, I would lose sleep all the time to hang out with her. Not going to say anything else. I would, <laughs> dude, I would show up at work, bloodshot eyes, like disheveled, same clothes, right? You okay, Chris? <laughs> I am awesome, right? <laughs> I'm more than okay. I was willing to make sick, crazy sacrifices. I was willing to limit my, I mean, limit my sleep. I mean, in some ways, you're like, this is a crazy amount of discipline. No. But dude, it was nothing compared to the joy of falling in love. Dude, God's love makes any sacrifice that you might be compelled to make, or as Paul would say, is not worth to be compared to the glory that's revealed. Only love can do that. Dude, only the love of God can cause you to lay down your life in joy. Only the love of God spreads Christianity throughout history and in the world today. It's not moral obligation. People don't see us following the rules and say, that looks fun. It's rare, okay, if that happens. No, they see a love saturating our lives, spilling over the threshold, and they say, that, I, I need, I need that. Because I have this void in me that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure no one loves me. And when they get connected to the creator of all things, over and abundantly pouring out his love over their lives, it changes everything. That's called the gospel. Not by works, so that no one could boast. Right? Let's stand and pray. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to come to the table like we do every week. Father, I ask right now, that you would begin to deconstruct all of the reasons we have in our hearts and lives that you can't be a loving God. Some of us are pointing to experience. Some of us are pointing to heartache and brokenness, Lord. Uh, Some of us are just pointing to our own inability to straighten up. Father, would you right now, would you just um, deconstruct those things in our hearts and minds? God, all, we, we're just like onions, right? We just put on the layers, put on the layers, put on the layers so we can survive. We get hurt. We get hardened in our hearts. Father, would you right now, would you break through those barriers and obstacles in our hearts and life in the name of Jesus? Some of us in this room need, need to hear just a really simple sentence straight from the heart of God. I love you. I've paid a price for you 
and my heart longs to commune with you. Father, would you let us hear it? God, would you teach us what it looks like to be people who are constantly receiving and dialed in to your love for us? God, teach us what it looks like to, to let you love us as we are praying and as we are reading the Bible and as we're you know, doing the work of trying to facilitate a small group and as we're, you know, all the things that we do in our Christian life, if we get disconnected from your love, we just get exhausted and burnt out and frustrated. So Father, for those in this room who would just say, my Christian life just feels absolutely at the brink of exhaustion, that I'm doing the right things, but, but I'm not, there's nothing in me that feels alive. God, would you have mercy on them right now? If that's you, I just want to encourage you to be vulnerable with God. Just acknowledge that before him, man. Just say it to him. I, I feel dry, God. I feel like there's just a bunch of pile of bones. God, you and you alone have the power to breathe life into the dead places. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you do it? God, breathe on our relationship with you right now. God, would you, I'm just reminded of Revelation, right? He says, Jesus tells to the church, man, you're doing all the right things. You're, you're feeding the poor. You're doing all these things, but you've uh, forgotten your first love. God, bring us back to you, Jesus. So I just ask that you would um, reveal to us the depth of the meaning of the sentence, we love because he first loved us. And God, would you show us that it is out of this idea that all of our Christian life flows. We love, we act, we put forth effort, we sacrifice because he first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Make real to us the love of Christ by the Holy Spirit today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next time. Amen.